Hi, this is Ben Kaspit. Welcome to On Israel. The conversation you're about to hear with former Defense Minister Naftali Bennett took place on Sunday, June 28th, three days before Israel could start annexing extensive territories in Judea and Samaria under President Trump's so-called deal of the century. You may remember that exactly five months ago to the day, on January 28th, President Trump unveiled his long-awaited plan for Middle East peace at a festive White House ceremony. Excitement was in the air. Netanyahu and his people were euphoric, promising that Israel would announce the annexation the following morning. But the champagne bubbles went flat, Netanyahu went home, and the announcement did not come. This was the start of a saga of repeated delays, meetings, consultations, map drawings, etc., Then Israel's elections delayed the announcement. Then negotiations over formation of a new government. And finally, Netanyahu and his former rival Benny Gantz formed a power-sharing government and agreed on an absolutely final target today, July 1st, after which Netanyahu could bring the annexation decision to a Knesset vote. According to the coalition deal, Netanyahu can move ahead even if Gantz objects. He has sufficient backing in the Knesset from Bennett's Yemena party and former defense ministers Avigdor Lieberman and Israel Betenu, both now in the opposition. Will Benjamin Netanyahu become a modern-day messiah, the savior bringing redemption of the land of Israel for which religious Zionism yearns? Will Israel make good on the pompous annexation promises? Or is a massive hangover all that will be left of the White House party? For Benjamin Netanyahu, annexation would be the crowning glory of his legacy, the jewel in his political crown. He dreams of imposing Israeli sovereignty over 30% of the biblical lands of Judea and Samaria, the maximum for which the Trump plan provides. What will remain of his dreams? Will he try to have his cake and eat it? Or make do with the crumbs? Will he be able to take advantage of the window of opportunity which could close? if Trump does not win re-election in November? We will probably have the answers in the coming weeks. Israel's political right is hoping the annexation promise turns out better than did the Golan Heights settlement that Netanyahu named after Trump last year, and which for now consists of a fading sign and a flag. What will remain of the annexation promise? We will soon know. Meanwhile, As it's always the case in the Middle East, everything that can go wrong goes wrong in spades. The pitfalls ahead include strong objections by Jordan and the Palestinian Authority, an equally strong objection from Europe, which is threatening to drag Israel to the criminal court in The Hague. The Gulf states, some of them key U.S. and Israeli allies, have also voiced disapproval surprising in its intensity, and Joe Biden clearly doesn't like the annexation plan. And then there are a host of other potential complications and dilemmas facing Netanyahu and his partners Gantz and Gabi Ashkenazi. The best bet right now is that Netanyahu and his partners will opt for mini-annexation, allowing Bibi to declare victory and survive the fallout. Israel will give up its plan to annex the Jordan Valley and will only annex two or three settlement blocks, maybe the Etzion block and the settlement towns of Maale Adumim and Ariel, about which there is fairly wide Israeli public consensus. In return, Israel will provide Palestinians with generous compensation, possibly giving them other land near the town of Kalkilia. 
נתניהו will be able to blame גנץ for the minimal annexation. גנץ will be able to explain to his electoral base that he blocked more extensive annexation and saved Israel from a disaster. The Palestinians will be able to contain the annexation and move on. Jordan's king will be pleased and the Israeli and U.S. Gulf allies will nod in approval. But on Israel's divided political right, no one will be happy. A significant camp on the right is pushing for full annexation as per the Trump plan. Another, more radical camp, has taken a surprising stand. They don't want any annexation at all because the Trump plan also calls for recognition of a Palestinian state and freeze on construction in the settlements. Our guest, leader of the right-wing Yamina party, will try to shed some light on these and other issues. The high-tech millionaire who served as defense minister until several weeks ago enjoyed a meteoric political rise in the 2013 election, crashed in 2019, and made a brief comeback when he talked Netanyahu into appointing him defense minister. He is now in the opposition. Bennett is a religious Zionist, but also speaks the language of mainstream secular Israelis. He is an entrepreneur at heart, a hard-working go-getter, and he joins us right after a short commercial break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us, and I'm happy to welcome former Defense Minister and Head of Yamina, Naftali Bennett. Thank you, Naftali, for joining us at Al Monitor's new podcast on Israel. Shalom, Naftali. Ben, it's great to be here. Naftali, what would you do in Netanyahu's place? Would you annex the entire 30% knowing that it means accepting the other terms of the Trump plan? Look, uh, Ben, it's uh, no secret that I've been... Uh, a uh, very uh, big force in promoting, uh, asserting uh, uh, Israeli rule on uh, parts of Judea and Samaria. I'll remind you that about a decade ago, I was the first guy uh, to, to bring forward a plan, uh, the sovereignty plan. I, I talked about 60% of, uh, of Judea and Samaria. Now they're talking about half of that. So the answer is uh, absolutely we have to go forward with uh, applying Israeli rule on the Israeli-controlled areas in Judea and Samaria with the principle of uh, maximum land and minimum uh, number of uh, Palestinians. It could be in the, the hundreds. And I think that's the right uh, formula. And 
even though it means that you have to uh, freeze building in the settlements to accept the, the deal of the century that means a, a, a recognizing a Palestinian sovereign state, etc. No, um, no one's asking Netanyahu to do that. The Americans are not even asking Netanyahu to, um, to have a government decision that accepts the Trump plan. The wording that I recall uh, when I was still in government was we will negotiate uh, along the principles of the Trump plan. That's wording that I could live with and uh, for the uh, big uh, and significant move forward of uh, finally uh, deciding the, 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 the future of Judea and Samaria, that's a small price to pay. So yes, I would support that. Because the impression is that you're picking from the plan only the goods, but you're ignoring the paying the price. Well, the way uh, we had to come to understand the plan is that, uh, that uh, you know, there's, it's a phased plan. First phase being Israel asserting its uh, rule on uh, significant parts on the Israeli-controlled parts of Judea and Samaria. The second part is a, a list of conditions that the Palestinians must meet in order to move forward. And, uh, you know, I think nobody in Israel or in the world actually thinks that the Palestinians will agree to renounce terror, will agree to recognize uh, Jerusalem, uh, will agree to the terms uh, to, to, uh, and, and uh, to stop paying uh, murderers and terrorists their monthly uh, salaries. And given that, it's a, it's a risk that we're willing to take. No one uh, is suggesting that we need to recognize a Palestinian state today. Uh, Mr. Bennett, you were a defense minister until uh, recently and also a combat officer. You know better than me that the, what the value of Israel's strategic alliance with Jordan. Why risk it? After all, no sane Israeli leader would consider withdrawing from the Jordan Valley at least for the next 20 or 30 years. So what, why do we need to annex it? Then I think that's a very important question which um, illum illuminates a, a bigger question. Look, are there going to be problems and are there going to be implications to uh, the move? Probably. Uh, how bad? I don't know. But when you're talking about setting the borders and uh, the, the land of, of the state of Israel, that's such a, a meaningful move for decades and, and centuries to come that you cannot, uh, um, you cannot be afraid of the immediate uh, short-term ramifications when you're setting uh, the, the, the borders of a country. You know, when was the last time that America purchased or acquired new land? I, I don't even remember, was it Alaska or Hawaii or Louisiana, whatever. So, you know, a hundred years from now, and, and may I say even five years from now, no one will remember the, the local issues the, the, uh, of the time. But right now we have a narrow window uh, to, to, you know, set Israeli borders on the Jordan Valley. That, that was something that ought to have been done uh, 72 years ago. And we can do it. And it's a huge gift uh, to posterity. And that's why I think we should do it. At the same time, we need to obviously try and uh, minimize the the implications and, and the price that, that we'll pay in, in, in the present. You mentioned it briefly before, but aren't you worried about the tens of uh, or hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who would be 
annex to Israel or try to annex themselves to Israel? Are you not concerned about uh, what everybody is saying, Israel becoming an apartheid regime? Not at all, Ben, because the actual borders that uh, are being entertained right now, uh, you can set them in a way that we uh, would actually have to provide uh, Israeli citizenship only to several hundred, perhaps a thousand uh, Palestinians. We'd offer them, by the way, I think most of them would opt for uh, to be uh, residents as opposed to citizens, but it won't make even a tiny dent. So the, the formula is maximum land with minimum amount of Arabs on it. So it, no, it's not very meaningful. On the rest of the land, uh, there's various options. We could continue the, um, you know, the autonomy that exists. It could be a confederation. It could be uh, a bunch of emirates. There's lots of uh, various uh, options. Um, but no, I'm not worried at all because we're not applying sovereignty on the parts where there's lots of Palestinians. But should we grant Israeli a, a citizenship to whatever, to the sum of Palestinians that will be in their next territories? Look, if you're talking about several hundred uh, Arabs, it's a non-issue. The answer is, yeah. Thousand, you can do... It can be even tens of thousands, you know. You know the... no, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm very uh, knowledgeable about the actual maps. We built it in a way, uh, again, depending on what the map will actually look like, but uh, when you're talking about a very, very minuscule amount of uh, number of Arabs, it won't make a dent. By the way, the Arab um, uh, demography in, uh, within Israel has uh, dropped uh, drastically over the past uh, 50 years and 20 years. Uh, actually, the, the is Israeli demography is growing, including, even excluding the ultra-Orthodox. So even uh, secular families today in Israel are having uh, three kids, four kids uh, per, per family, and it's a pretty remarkable phenomenon. I'm not that worried about the, the, the demography these days. Mr. Bennett, do you think Netanyahu wants to annex? Does he really want annexation or, it, or is it all just a spin to make people forget maybe he's on trial for bribery? I don't know. It's a good question. I, I um, you know, I, I don't have an answer for those things. These, are, these days what I look at are actions. And, uh, you know, he, he made very lofty, uh, uh, commitments and promises in, in these three elections that we had. Uh, it was very clear that he would apply Israeli law on the Jordan Valley and on the entirety of uh, the Israeli uh, um, communities in Judea and Samaria. I uh, expect him and hope that he meets up to his own promises. Actually, I may disturb, he annexed your mandates. All, each time, each campaign, he was promising to annex the Jordan Valley or the, or the Gush Etzion block, and then he got a lot of Yamina votes to Likud, and then, then he forgot all about it. That's a, a, a very uh, good point, Ben. You're right. What, what Netanyahu's strategy has been de facto, uh, th there's been a, a Netanyahu before we came into government in 2013 and after. Um, until then, he was uh, going down the Bar Ilan route. Uh, no one was even considering uh, sovereignty. 
Then his political strategy, once we challenged him from the right, was essentially to, um, to do the stuff that we're talking about. And he did. He moved, uh, you know, I'd say 30% to the right since, uh, since our entrance in order to sort of show that you don't need uh, Bennett because I can do Bennett. So it's very satisfying on a material level because um, he's in effect uh, uh, executing much of, of our plans. Obviously, it's uh, frustrating on a political level because, uh, you know, he, he tries to show that you don't need us. So it's, it's a very uh, good point you're making. So let's summarize this, uh, the annexation issue. I want to ask you the, the, the final question about the issue. Look at the dangers inherent in this annexation. An acceleration of a possible war crimes trial in The Hague, a harsh European protest that could include sanctions, a weakening of our alliance with the Sunni and Gulf states, destabilizing the Jordanian monarchy, damaging ties with Egypt, the situation with the Palestinians in Judea and Samaria is a uh, a relatively calm, why fix it if it's not broken? And another thing, you, you listen to all the, the generals, you know, Amos Gilad, Amos Yadvin, you name it, almost everyone is, is threatening that the dissonant annexation can blow up in our faces. Are you still so uh, clearly in favor of it? Yes, I am, Ben, and, and uh, it's not because I'm dismissing uh, these warnings, not at all, but um, it's because of the perspective. I, I'm taking a perspective of, of uh, Jewish history and, and centuries forward and backward, uh, and any big move you make, it's going to be tough. It was never going to be easy. I think uh, there uh, should be consensus in Israel that the Jordan Valley should be our eastern uh, border, at least, you know, I'd say the, the mainstream of uh, uh, center and right Israelis would agree to that. And you got to do it when you can do it. Uh, you know, I grew up in the high tech center is, is sector, and there's a saying, when do you raise uh, money as a startup? And the answer is when you can. Whenever you can, you raise. And now we can. I, I cannot recall in Israel's history a window of opportunity. Uh, we can set the Jordan Valley as our eastern border. And, you know, uh, when Begin in 81 was about to uh, apply Israeli law on the Golan Heights, there were very similar warnings of Shimon Peres and others uh, that Israel would become a pariah state. It, it's all in, in, in his uh, speeches, etc., etc. And in fact, we did get a, a, a sanction from America. I believe they stopped for a while uh, um, a shipment of uh, airplanes to our Air Force. But who remembers that? All we remember now, all we know now, is that Goalan Heights is part and parcel of Israel. So in, in, in the long view of things, it's the right thing to do, but we have to address all these threats that you uh, uh, talked about and try and minimize them as best as possible in light of the decision to go ahead and do it. Now, will it happen? I don't know. It's up to Bibi. As I mentioned before, you've been a defense minister in Israel until recently. I have to ask you something about Iran. Over the weekend, loud explosions were heard east of Tehran. The Iranians claimed the blasts were caused by the oxygen tanks. According to Western intelligence, there are underground missile production facilities in this area. Are you concerned about Iran's determined race toward nuclear weapons? 
Uh, very much so. Um, a few years ago, I, uh, I made public a, a doctrine which I called the, the octopus doctrine, which in effect said that Israel has to change its strategy. Um, Iran is an octopus where its head is in Tehran and it's sending its arms to envelope Israel and to shed our blood in, in the Galilee with Hezbollah in the south against Gaza, Gaza with Hamas. And we're playing its game. And its game is that it sends uh, all, all these arms to, to hurt us and we go fight the arms. It's a big mistake. What we ought to be doing, I said in this doctrine, is get closer and closer to the head, which is Iran itself, to try and uh, um, weaken it, to apply pressure, uh, economic sanctions, diplomatic pressure, and other uh, actions, uh, um, uh, covert and overt uh, actions against Iran itself, because they, they've been playing an asymmetric uh, fight. They're hitting us and we're not hitting them. We're just hitting their proxies. And uh, as a defense minister, I uh, shifted our focus closer and closer to Iran itself. Uh, you know, there's stuff that uh, foreign media talked about. Uh, I'm not gonna- uh, So I have a question about this, exactly this. The mysterious raids in Syria are, are also continuing all the time. Israel is not taking responsibility for most of them, but the Syrians nonetheless blame us. The Iranians do not show any signs of pulling out. At the end of the week, the commander of the Revolutionary Guards, Al-Quds Force, visited Syria. How do you see Israeli-Iranian tensions in this arena? We got to get Iran out of Syria. That's our goal. Uh, it, it should not be anything less than get out of here. You've got no business in Syria. And uh, I'll tell you, Ben, why, why I think uh, we can win. Um, but first of all, if we don't act, and we don't act very uh, aggressively to get them out, uh, we'll wake up three years from now, five years from now, uh, with uh, 100,000 rockets in, in uh, Syria on, on the Golan Heights border, and we'll be uh, a hostage to, to direct Iranian threats. What happened in Lebanon, and back then there were, was someone who fell asleep as a defense minister in Dintak. Why are we gonna win? I'll tell you why, because we care more. For Iran, this is a military adventure a thousand kilometers from home. Uh, we can turn and we are turning Syria into uh, a Vietnam for Iran. Um, you know, they, they, they can just uh, find themselves deep in, in, in this uh, swamp uh, losing lives, losing money. For us, it's, it's not an adventure, it's our lives. Moreover, for us, it's very close. We have a very good um, uh, intelligence superiority and uh, air dominance. So they bring, anything they bring in, we have to uh, hit. We have to get them out of Syria. Uh, they've got no business here. Iran is at its weakest spot in its history since uh, the revolution in 79. They should be focusing on, on the uh, welfare of their people. They've got corruption, they've got uh, uh, poverty, they've got corona, they've got everything there, and get out of uh, uh, Syria. And, and that, that should be our strategy. That's the strategy I set uh, as defense minister, and I hope to see that strategy uh, continuing over the next few years. Do you see signs of success? Yes, 
even during my uh, period, uh, we saw significant uh, pullout of uh, Iranian troops and of uh, bases, but you have to continue. And uh, Rani needs to know that, you know, he, every minute that, that he sends troops into Syria, he's going to lose more money and more uh, people that he, he doesn't have. And I'll tell you one thing, Iran is much more sensitive to Iranian life, lives than one would think. Um, you know, in, in, in the war against Daesh, against uh, ISIS, uh, they were very keen on and happy to shed other people's lives. But when Iranians started coming back to Tehran in coffins, they pulled out. So we're telling the Iranian leadership, get out of, of uh, Syria and get out ASAP. Last question, Naftali uh, Bennett, uh, with your permission, uh, about the coronavirus. As Defense Minister, you joined the, and maybe you feel you even led the fight against the epidemic. Uh, Israel started out well and was one of the safest countries in the world in terms of infection rates. Right now, we are seeing a dramatic rise in infection to the extent that Europe is banning Israelis from traveling there. Where do, did we go wrong? Well, over the past uh, couple of months, there's been a degree of incompetency that I've rarely seen in my life. Um, it seems that our two prime ministers, uh, Netanyahu and Gantz, are preoccupied with everything but uh, the COVID. Uh, we've got one million unemployed. Uh, and, and what we have right now as we're speaking is uh, a massive leap in uh, infections. Uh, and uh, the government is talking about a second shutdown, which would be uh, uh, an unmitigated disaster on, on small businesses and on uh, people's uh, living. Uh, what the, uh, you know, I, I, Ben, you know, I uh, put together a plan about three weeks ago. Uh, I called it towards the second wave, what Israel needs to do uh, to prepare, and they've not done it. I'm telling you, they're, they're focused on the wrong stuff. Uh, they got to get out of their offices, get out into the field, hire 2,000 uh, students to do uh, uh, contact tracing, build up the, the uh, testing, and uh, uh, reform or, or rebuild the uh, corona hotels that I had set up in the first wave, and they were incredibly successful in act actually isolating uh, uh, infected uh, folks. And for some reason, they're sending sick people home to infect their families. I have to say, Ben, I cannot recall this degree of incompetence, uh, barring maybe a, a second Lebanese war or something. I, I don't know what they're doing there, but they're doing everything but the right thing. And you took part in the second uh, Lebanese war. Exactly. Bennett. Thank you so much for this fascinating talk. We will uh, take a short commercial break and come back with some uh, final thoughts shortly. Thank you, Natalia. Toda. Ben, it was a pleasure. Thank you. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. 
If you haven't done so already, visit us at lmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon Elmonitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our Elmonitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. A new poll that was just out on Israel's Channel 13 grants Bennett Yamina 11 seats in the Knesset, almost double the current size of the party that tries to end Netanyahu's monopoly in the Israeli right. We heard today a renewed, sharp and confident Bennett, not taking any prisoners, not regretting anything, full of energy and self-confidence. Israeli history shows too many cases of self-confidence that ended in a fiasco. But Bennett is an optimistic guy. As expected, he urges Netanyahu to declare full annexation, ignoring real-time alarms and security warnings. The real surprise and headlines he gave us were focused in the Iranian front. Former defense minister is sure Israel is winning the war against Iran in Syria and urging the new government to push forward in full speed and turn Syria into Iran's Vietnam. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time, next Monday, on uh, Al Monitor's new podcast on Israel. Take care.